Good morning and Merry Christmas. So good to be able to gather together on the Lord's Day and when Christmas Day converge. Last time this occurred was 2016. And I remember again, Christmas Eve services and then Christmas morning services, complicated. Uh, but through it all, we are able to stay focused upon Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. Love for you to now take your Bibles and join with me. We're turning uh, this morning to Matthew chapter 2, as we're now concluding our series on the Bethlehem story. And in this passage of Scripture, you and I are going to be able to explore together this entire scene in which the Magi make their way into, into Bethlehem. So beginning with verse 1, eventually it'll appear on the screen, Bibles in front of us, Lord willing, or devices, those that are watching now on live stream, you want to follow along as well. And now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was, was troubled, all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written. And here is what is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So we're going to take time now, explore this passage together. And as we do so, let's uh, turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. So now, Father, it has been our privilege to be able over the course of these weeks to be able to, in essence, venture into Bethlehem make our way into this story, a story that you had ordained in eternity past, a prophet promised eight centuries before. And now we see how all of this comes to fruition, all that comes to fulfillment. And again, we see now how there's a convergence in your sovereign plan were the political, the astronomical, the social, the national, and the international spheres of life all seem to find a meeting place in Bethlehem, a manger, a baby, Christ the Lord. And now, Father, when we have the opportunity to explore what is now unfolding in this passage of Scripture, this morning after what we've unpacked last night in the various services. We're praying that you will now speak to us at our point of need. 
So again, our Father, what we're asking is that you would warm these hearts, engage these minds, and shape these wills. As again, our Father, on this Christmas day, we've come here to see Jesus. Him only. We pray these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Love the story that's told during the time of World War II where there was a little boy who was traveling, you see, with his grandfather after an evening, after a Christmas Eve service. And they were passing row after row after row of houses with Christmas trees and the decorations and the windows. But again and again and again, what he would notice is that there would be a star in the window, and so that obviously prompted a question. Grandpa, um, what does that star in the window mean? Why do some people have that and some people don't? Well, his grandfather said that the people who had stars in the windows were people who had a son in the war. World War II, of course. Well, as they passed the last house, well, suddenly the little boy caught sight of the evening star sky. And he, he looked out the window, and then he looked at his grandfather and said, Grandpa, God must have had a son in the war. He's got a star in his window, speaking of the sky above. Now, when you and I begin to think about that, we realize that's exactly what we're describing here. Because what God is doing with the second member of the Trinity via Bethlehem is that he, in essence, not viewing this world as a playground, but rather as a battleground, is sending Jesus Christ into this world initially as an infant, but then being raised to adulthood two natures in one person to die on that cross to save us from our sins. I'm going to explore that star. I'm going to ponder it together. If you're interested in going a little deeper, there's a book in my office. It's called The Great Christ Comet by Colin Nicole. And over 300 pages are devoted to interviews and analyses by astronomers who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, attempting to understand how this star relates astronomically as well as biblically to what's being described here. And what God does in his sovereign purposes is that he uses all these various matters to bring an intersection at the point of which Jesus Christ comes into this world. Now what I would love to do with you in this story of the star in essence, I want to draw out three significant reactions that are going to be found in these verses that in many ways pertain to this star. Now I'm not going to be utilizing headings, I'm viewing this more as simply a meditation, a devotional, uh, in the various services this morning. And so what I'd like to do is just make our way through 
And we're going to be noticing now the way in which various individuals are, are responding to this directional aspect of what God is providing astronomically with the star above. I'm going to begin with verses 1 and 2. And here you and I read, Now after Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, the Magi in verses 1 and 2, I think in very many ways could represent what I will call seekers. And if I was to expand this thought a little bit more, some are seeking Christ, asking questions about him. Now, maybe that's not what's happening right now around the, the table at your house or in the living room. But somewhere along the way, the intelligent individual is going to be asking some serious questions. Why all this? What does this mean? And the one who's discerning enough to be able to draw out thoughts from that seeking mind is going to be one to try to get in ahead of the questions that are being articulated and begin to develop a way in which a dialogue unfolds. And generally, say in my office or in other settings and so on, I try to provide an initial response to a person's question with sufficient info, but not necessarily exhaustive info. In other words, I want them to lean into the dialogue about Christ. And whatever I say, then I want to produce another question, whereby dialogically we're beginning to go a little deeper and a little further in our understanding of this extraordinary aspect of salvation that God would send Christ into this world in the form of an infant. Now, you and I are told here that it was after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. And so, I don't know about those manger scenes that have got magi involved as well as shepherds at the same time, and because if I'm understanding the gospel story correctly, um, this account is no longer in the manger. As you're going to see a little later on, uh, Mary uh, with Christ, they're in a house. So the shepherds came before the Magi, and the Jews came before the Gentiles, and now here come the Gentiles. And so as the shepherds, the Jewish ones, made their way to the manger, now we see the Gentiles are making their way. And as they're making their way, lo and behold, what we find is that they're making their way uh, to, to Jerusalem. These are in the days of King Herod. Now what you and I are going to have to bear in mind at this point is that Herod was made a king. Christ was born a king. We're going to see how volatile Herod is in his emotional state. He's demanding authority. He doesn't understand that this is derived authority. 
and that it's been delegated to him by the God who owns all. Now, here what I begin to notice with you at this point is that like King Saul in the Old Testament, which we explored a few weeks back, Saul and Herod have something in common. They do not distinguish between authority and authoritarianism. Highly volatile, highly emotional political figures, keeping everybody on edge. You never know what they're going to do, what they're going to say, what they're going to decide next. Like Saul of the Old Testament, now Herod of the New, he's got everybody on pins and needles. And lo and behold, here come wise men from the east to Jerusalem. It's the natural place for them to go. And again, what fascinates us is that God is not guiding them towards Rome. That was the political power of the day. Or is it? Or is it, in fact, a babe in a manger in Bethlehem, now in a house, and that they've got to go to Jerusalem to make their way to Bethlehem? So they go to the one who was made a king. I want you to ponder at this point the time they've put in, the effort they've put in, the way in which they go about beginning to seek truth in this whole matter. And so they come to Jerusalem saying, in the form of a question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? At this point, the people in Jerusalem are completely unaware. Bethlehem is only six plus miles away. Here are Gentiles from far away coming with this info that those in close proximity geographically are, are unaware of. How does this work? Well, now, utilizing the Jew first shepherds, but now the Gentiles as well, and the wise men, the Magi, here comes this global impact converging now upon Jerusalem, and now Herod is going to have to begin to process what's unfolding. Magi in that day, students of the skies, modern-day astronomers would look at this and begin to ponder just what is this all about. Well, they're wondering what this is all about, aren't they, in this too? So they've got a critical question. Now, what you want to do is to draw out people who have critical questions. Because many times, those that are seeking Christ don't know quite how to articulate the questions they have about Christ. Sometimes you almost have to develop it for them. So at this moment, they come, and they come with this form of a question, where is he? Not who is he? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And then look what comes next. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to, come to worship him. Now, if you've made your way at any point in time to Bethlehem, say, which is in the West Bank, and as I've said in prior weeks as well as last night, um, fairly Arab, 
I'm fairly a Muslim in orientation. Um, Modern-day pilgrims, they can stay at the Bethlehem Star Hotel. Uh, you want to go about doing some after-Christmas Day shopping? You can go to the Christmas market on Star Street. My word, you can even go and get a cup of coffee if you want at Stars and Bucks Cafe. And then head over to Manger Square where images of the Bethlehem Star abound. I think uh, what we ought to do is just simply make our way down, um, down the street. And so you've made your way down Star Street, but I'm telling you right now, not only do you have great insight, you've got great eyesight. Because look very carefully, very carefully, and off in the distance, what do you see? You see a cross. The wise person finds a way of making connections, pulling things together. Connect Bethlehem with Jerusalem. Ponder the significance of what this is all about. And begin to think seriously in your own circles of relationships. Who might you at this point describe as as one who is a seeker of Christ, but may not have the capacity at this moment to fully develop the questions that they ought to be posing about Christ. Sometimes you almost have to pose the question to get them to prompt and prompt them for further questions. And then you begin to slowly develop some perspective in response to the questions that are, that are being posed here at this point seekers. You know what's fascinating to me is that for the people in Jerusalem that had invested any time in the Older Testament, first five books, let's say, of the Bible, Torah, they would know that in Numbers chapter 24, there was a Gentile, not a Jew, a Gentile who prophesied, and Moses records it. And in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, Balaam says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So ponder now the significance. You're on Star Street, and lo and behold, off in the distance, on top of a steeple, there's that cross. There's a second reaction now to Christ. There's not only what I might describe as those who are seekers of Christ, asking questions about him, but second of all, out of verses 3 through 6, there are others who are what I described this morning as indifferent to Christ, though knowledgeable about him. 
Now, the wise men are Gentiles, and they were not schooled in the, in the theology that the people of Jerusalem would have been schooled in. They are operating on the basis of general revelation. God is sovereign over all, and so he is using for these students of the stars astronomical means to be able to get their attention. Now, God is not limited to one form of getting people's attention. And so the astronomical means for these Gentiles, but the scriptural means now for the scribes. And so you're picking it up with me in the second of the three reactions we're spotting this morning in Matthew's account. And you and I are told this in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Literally, from the Greek, the idea he was all shook up, shades of Elvis, you see. Now, here what you find is that it's not only Herod, though, who's troubled. It's all Jerusalem with him because they know how volatile he is emotionally. You can't predict how he's going to respond to bad news, what's going to happen next. And so what does he do? Well, he now pulls together those who are students in the scriptures. The chief priests, scribes of the people. Now, the wise men asked a question. Ponder all the questions found here in this passage of scripture you're exploring with me this morning. Now, Herod's got a question. So he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So now we've got a wide range of questions that are beginning to be posed in Jerusalem. God delights in these kinds of questions. And what I long for, all the various services on Sundays, people come with questions. And what we've tried to do is to go deep into God's word and see what God has to say with regard to their questions and the answers that God would provide. And so... What do they do in verse, in verse 5? Well, they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, quoting now from Micah chapter 5 of verse 2, which we covered last week, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, uttered eight centuries prior. But again, notice the extraordinary detail. Now, God is fulfilling his plan astronomically, utilizing the Gentile population, scripturally. In other words, for those that are theologically trained, general revelation, special revelation, all converging here at this point, God is sovereign over both and allowing for all this to come together in a way where people are going to say, what is happening here? And what we long for is people in the course of our conversations these days to come, they need to be asking, what has just happened? What is this all about? What does all of this mean? But here's what grips my attention. With the wise men, some are seeking Christ, asking questions about him. But with the scribes, some are indifferent to Christ, though knowledgeable about him. 
though just six plus miles away, they do not join the wise men in making their way to Bethlehem. They are what we might describe this morning as religious unbelievers. Furthermore, biblically informed unbelievers. But still unbelievers. They know a lot about this story. They do not know the one who's the author of this story. God, who sent Jesus Christ into this world to die for our sins. Love the story of the past. It opens in this way, where there's this African boy, and he was listening carefully as the teacher was explaining why it is that Christians give presents to each other on on Christmas Day. Uh, the gift is an expression of our joy over the birth of Jesus Christ in our, in our relationship to him, she said. Well, when Christmas Day came, the African boy brought the teacher a, a seashell. Beautiful. Where did you find such a beautiful shell, the teacher asked. And, the young man told her that there was only one spot there where such an extraordinary shell could be found, a certain bay several miles away. It's amazing, said the teacher. But you shouldn't have gone all that way to get a gift for me. And his eyes brightened as he answered, Long walk, part of the gift. Really, scribes, just six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to meet the second member of the Trinity and you couldn't pull it off. Yet the second member of the Trinity broke out of time and space and entered into the temporal range of our world in Bethlehem. It's as if God the Father is saying to all of us, pertaining to Jesus, long walk, part of the gift, you see. Now, in the sphere of our relationships, we've got to begin to ask ourselves, okay, uh, where, would, where would the various people in my life fit in? Some are seeking Christ, asking questions about him, how do I respond? How do I draw them out? Where do I go? How much, how little? How much now, how much later? On and on and on. But then there's that second group of people where some are indifferent to Christ, though knowledgeable about him. They're indifferent. So close, yet so far. Scribes, you're only six miles away. Why aren't you checking this out? You were even able to quote the passage and apply it to the situation. But you didn't make it personal. You know people like that? Very informed. Very knowledgeable. Opportunity to ponder Christ the King. 
Armando Valadares did that. 22 years he spent in Cuba's prisons, recording how prison prisoners had to respond before firing squads. And they did it with a regular shout, Viva Cristo Rey, which means long live Christ the King. Whatever it is that you've been experiencing, are experiencing, and are anticipating experiencing in the coming days, remember who lasts and what lasts. And so here you have, at the very point in which we need to consider the things that matter most, Christ the King emerges here. Magi are able to come so far to find him. Scribes so close, yet so far to seek him. Where are you at in this? There's a third reaction. There's not only the magi who are seekers of Christ and the scribes who are, who are indifferent to Christ, but thirdly, there's Herod. For you see, thirdly, some are hostile to Christ, feeling threatened by him. And the reason why they feel threatened by him, and this happens with, say, North Korea, happens with China, happens with Russia and elsewhere and so on, is that in totalitarian systems where, where people want absolute authority in their own political invested structures, they're threatened by the Christian testimony because we're saying someone greater than you is here. Someone greater than you is in charge and validated by the fact that three days later, God the Father raised him from the grave. And that the promises and the prophecies of old have direct bearing upon all the aspects, politically, scientifically, culturally, personally, today. Authority. It's a threatening thing for those who think they are in authority. It's derived in God, but delegated by God and to those who need to understand that their, their authority is not absolute. God's is. Well, there's Herod. Jesus born king, Herod made king. Herod would take life. Jesus would give his life. You pick it up now in verse, in verse 7. So Herod summoned the wise men, and now he does this, he does this secretly, you and I are told here. He doesn't want others to know what's happening. He's got a plan. He's got a scheme. And so he ascertains from them in verse 7 um, what, uh, what time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem in verse 8, the house of bread, as we know, saying, Go, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. By now the Magi are probably saying to themselves, Can't anybody in, Bethlehem, in, in Jerusalem make their way to Bethlehem? Why does it take foreigners who've traveled all this ways, our legs are tired at this point, and everybody wants to stay put. But again, what is it about the fact that when it comes to such individuals, 
They are so close, yet so far. In this story, so close geographically, so far spiritually. So using his authority now, he sends them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I, that I too may come and worship him. Mm-hmm. So in verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. He's hoping they're naive. What I want you to see now at this point is that the star reappears. Remember I told you about Nicole's book. It's rich, ties together theology and astronomy for those that are trained in the sciences as well as theology. This is a dream come true type thing. Well, they make their way. And there's that star that they had seen rose and went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. I love a particular painting where the artist uh, presents this night scene. There's this solitary man. He's rowing out in his little boat across the lake, and the wind's high and storming the billows and white and so on. Not a star except for one shines through the dark, and the darkness, the sky above. But what captures my attention in that particular painting is that the voyager has fixed his eyes and keeps rowing, rowing, rowing through the midnight storm, fixing his eyes on, the, on that star. And written beneath the picture were these words, if I lose that, I'm lost. Now what I want to say at this point is that what this passage offers us is thorough understanding in the ways in which God provides direction to Christ. He used general revelation, astronomical means pertaining to the wise men, the Gentiles. He used scriptural perspectives for the scribes, as well as for Herod as a listener. You're noticing the various reactions now and the schemes, but who's really in charge here in this story? Herod thinks he is, hopes he is, but God has something else to say about all of that. And so when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, that's why I say um, we're not now dealing with the manger at this point. They go into the house, and these long-distance travelers, when they see the child with Mary, his mother, they fall down and worship him. Have you grasped the significance now of these scientifically oriented individuals that have brought gifts from afar that are not bowing before the second member of the Trinity who comes into this world as an infant? They're acknowledging him. In opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, of frankincense and myrrh. And then, notice how God then chooses a different approach to deal with them. God is not a restricted God. 
He used a star. Now he's going to use a dream. And so in verse 12, being warned in a dream not to return to here, they departed to their own country by another way. For you see, what we're saying about 7 through 12 is that some are hostile to Christ, feeling threatened by him. And there are going to be those who feel extraordinarily threatened by the realities of this Christmas story because it addresses matters of sin and salvation. It addresses matters of ultimate authority. It involves matters of lordship, which these magi were willing to acknowledge. Let's make our way. Let's make our way into Bethlehem. And head towards the grotto under the Basilica and the, uh, the Nativity in Bethlehem. And what I want you to see here is that if you and I were to travel, head into Tel Aviv and from there make our way, got, you got your international driver's license, I know you do, and head on over to Bethlehem, and we hop out and we, we head down on Christmas. Uh, Christmas's favorite place to be, Star Street, Manger Square, and we make our way into the church in the nativity, and lo and behold, here's the star candles burning in the grotto under the basilica of the nativity in Bethlehem. It takes your breath away, and you pause and you say, look what God has accomplished. And that's why then, as you begin to depart from Bethlehem, you look over your shoulder, because now it's morning, it's sunrise, there's light breaking in, and light breaks into the darkness of the soul, which forces us to ask, which of those three spheres of response do I find myself in? Now what do I do with what I now know? Let's stand together. And so, Father, what we want to do is to ponder this. For those watching on live stream right now, speak to the hearts, the minds, the souls, or in the days to come. And don't make this feel immediately time-bound when they're pondering and watching this on a Tuesday night. Speak to the hearts of those that were in the prior service, in the prior services of last night. And now as we end this Bethlehem story series, I pray that there's sunrise in the soul. People are putting faith and trust exclusively in Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior. The kingdom of light is broken in. And now life becomes clear. It's all about Jesus. And we give him all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas.